0: We're gonna talk about uh, what it means to love the broken. And to begin, uh, as I was studying for this, I ran into a book called the Book of Philemon. Do you guys know where that book is from? Okay. It's in the New Testament. Okay, it's a very short book. It's actually only one chapter, and it's 25 verses long. And um, it's an interesting letter uh, from the uh, from Paul to a man named Philemon. Okay, It's not a very common read, it's not a book that we tend to look at, uh, and nor is it a very common story. Uh, but we find a very beautiful story of what it means to love the broken. Um, so, we're going to jump into that. Uh, but before we get into that, it's very clear in any walk of life, uh, whatever you've grown up in, whatever background, whatever you're from, that we are all fundamentally, intrinsically, we are all broken people. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Whether that is yourself, someone that you've met, or someone that you know of, uh, we have this brokenness inside of us. We hurt, whether that be because of some kind of trauma, uh, some kind of past, or maybe just hitting rock bottom in our lives, maybe making a mistake, taking a wrong turn, whatever it may be, uh, we've either heard of these stories or we've experienced these for ourselves. Right? Regardless of the degree of hurt or brokenness, from minor to great, from job loss, to relationship issues, from crime, to be even, even being caught up in the crossfire of life. Things in their environment, their circumstances, things change, and regardless of the degree of the hurt of brokenness, I'm sure we all know or have experienced uh, what it means to be heard. So as we study the book of Philemon today, as we jump into this, uh, this short 25 verse letter from Paul to Philemon, we're gonna try to understand what it means to be broken. Um, what a a broken, hurting person looks like and uh, we're going to see a case study of what that actually looks like and what we as Christians can do to love the broken. Um, So we're going to read actually through the book of Philemon. It's really short. Um, Alright, so let's go ahead and read through it really short, I'll read it really quickly. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Afia, our sister, and Akrypis, our fellow soldier, to to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us and the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for your sake. For the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed in the hearts of the people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my own son, uh, Onesimus, who became my son of models and chains. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would like—I would have liked to keep him here with me, so that he could take your place. Uh, he could take your place in helping me while I was in chains for the gospel. But I do not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you would not seem uh, forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother he is very dear to me but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the world if you would consider if you if, and so if you consider me a partner welcome him as you would welcome me if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything charge it to me i paul am writing this with my own hand i pay it back not to mention that you owe me your very self i do wish brother that if, that i may have some benefit from you in the lord refresh my heart in christ confident of your obedience i write to you knowing that you will do even more than i ask and one more thing prepare a guest room for me because i hope to uh restore to you and answer to your prayer a my fellow prisoner in christ jesus sends you greetings and so do mark our Demas, dimas and luke my fellow workers the grace of the lord jesus christ be with your spirit so out of all the letters that Paul writes, okay, this is by far the most personal and actually the only personal letter that we have of Paul. Considering the length of this letter in comparison to the other letters that he wrote, we can almost think of it as like kind of a postcard. Right? So it's like a postcard that he's sending to this guy. Um, but in this letter this postcard, we find an amazing lesson of loving the broken, but we also learn a lot of things like grace, forgiveness, and acceptance. Now, there are three key names that we need to understand before we can move forward further. So there are three key names. First of all, Paul, okay? We know Paul, we've heard of Paul. He's the great missionary, the apostle, um, and he's this guy that's going around writing these letters, and the majority of the letters that we find in the New Testament are written by Paul. Um, And during this time, that he wrote this letter. He was actually a prisoner in Rome, okay? The second person, Philemon, okay? He was a slave owner, but not only was he an ordinary slave owner, he was a Christian slave owner. Now, that sounds really weird because it's like an oxymoron statement, right? It's like jumbo shrimp Uh, What other oxymoron statements you can think of, right? Um, But he is a Christian slave owner who lived in the city of Colossae in what we know as present-day Turkey, okay? And we don't have much information about this person other than in this letter. We don't know how he found Christ, what his his walk was like. Um, We don't really know about his relationship too much other than the fact uh, that Paul writes in the letter about his relationship with Philemon uh, Philemon and Paul. Uh, We do, for a few things, know the fact that a church meets in Philemon's house. which was kind of the norm to do back in in those times. It was not like a church building, but rather they would meet in homes. So this is what Paul is doing. Um, And so because of this, we know that he was a very well-respected Christian leader of his time. For them to meet at his house uh, says a lot in that time. The final person that we need to remember, we need to remember uh, Feliceness, right? Uh, there's a lot of different ways to say it. Uh, I just pronounce it Onesimus, I pr- pronounce Philemon, Philemon, uh, so bear with me today if that bothers you. But anyways, Onesimus, okay, he was a runaway slave. Okay? He was a runaway slave who found refuge in Rome, Okay. where he meets Paul, where he's in prison. And this is also where Onesimus meets Christ. Okay? It's here in Rome that he finds Christ, and is that now at this point he's serving, uh, serving Paul and helping him. Now in biblical times, uh, there's a huge issue that we need to remember: slaves back in this time were not treated like people. Roman law provided no protection for slaves; they were practically property. Okay, and especially a runaway slave—that's like the worst-case scenario to be in that time. And Technically, by Roman law, that slave for running away could be put to death. There's no second chances. It was a way to instill fear in the lives of these slaves. It was by saying that if you run away, we will kill you. Okay. So Paul now, he has one of these runaway slaves. But he's not just any ordinary slave. He's a converted one. And typically, we see in the New Testament that in the biblical times, slaves are sent back to their masters. That's the norm. You get a slave that's not yours, you're supposed to send it back. Go back home. Go back where you belong. right? And in the letter, we see that Paul decides to do this. Right? He decides to send Onesius back. But Onesius is not just going back to his master, Philemon, as a slave, but he's going back now as a believer in Christ. He left as a rebel, but now he is going back as a brother. So you see, in this letter, we find the explanation of Onesius, right? Of what happened and the whole story behind him. And this is what the letter is about. Now, despite knowing this, Paul knows the Roman laws very well, okay? He knows the laws. Paul is sending Onesius back to Philemon. And you might think, wait a second, why in the world, if Paul knew the laws, why would he send a runaway slave back to his master? Because that technically means what? Death for the slave, right? There's no hope. In this slave. But there's a powerful message, right? There's a powerful paradigm shift that Paul is trying to share uh, and teach. And that's what we're gonna jump into. So omnisimus, um, um, okay, is the picture, is the image of a broken, hurting person. Someone who was a rebel, who ran away and is now uh, facing potential punishment under Roman law. Okay? And how do we do with this? How do we deal with a situation like this? How do we love a person like this? It's easy to say that we can love someone that isn't broken, that's totally fine, that's got everything together, uh, who isn't hurting, but how do we love a person that is not all there, that doesn't have everything together, who's had their life crashing down, that was a rebel? How do we love someone like Onesimus? How do we love the Onesimus in our lives? And this is why I think the letter, this postcard to Philemon from Paul, It's such a beautiful postcard because it has such a transformative value in it, okay? It's a letter that reminds us that we have the power, we have the ability to heal hurting hearts, and that we have the power and ability to put people back on their feet again. We have the power to love the broken. This is what Paul is trying to show. There are three things that we can learn from this letter, and these are the three points that I want Uh, to talk about in Loving the Broken. The first one is be a friend. And I know you're like, oh wow, this is so cliche. Like, be a friend? What does that even mean, right? We we know what that means, okay? It's so cheesy and so unoriginal that, um, yeah, you guys are probably not very impressed, right? But the first point is be a friend. But it's so true. How do we describe friendships? To be a friend means to be there for someone when they need it. To uplift them when others put them down. To be a friend means a lot of things. Someone that cares, someone that will be the backbone of your life. And the list will go on and on. So you see in this letter, Paul is asking Philemon, the slave owner, this very thing. Be a friend. To be a brother to who was once a slave, but is now your brother in Christ. Paul uses the word like friend, partner, brother, to convey a very important message to Philemon. Something that he does not have on yet. Paul is saying, hey. Just like you and I, Paul and Philemon, just like we're friends, we're buddies, okay? I want you to accept this guy, who was once your slave, to be also a brother in Christ. Accept this broken, hurting person, this friend of ours. Accept him, okay? Paul puts it very beautifully in verse 15 and 16. He says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while, was that you might have him back for good, right? Forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, right? as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even more dear to you, both as a man and as a brother of the Lord. I think that is the most beautiful thing you can say about someone that is breaking the law, running away, and being sent back to his master. right? And I don't know about you, when I look at the church today, I'm not generalizing all the churches, but when I see churches and certain societies today, I feel like we have this tendency to distance ourselves from the mismus in our lives what do i mean by that right we distance ourselves away from people that are hurting we see our brothers and our sisters who need love who need acceptance who need a friend but we have this this tendency to say i'm not, i don't i don't want to deal with that i don't want to get involved in that mess right we tend to push them away hide them under the blanket of society and we try to not deal with it but In a time like this, in a time as Christians living in 2019, I feel like this is the time for us to step up to that plate and to reach out to those that are hurting. We need to reach out to the Onesimus in our lives. You see, a friend is a person who refreshes the wounds, the wounded, right? In our letter today, Philemon is the one that has this ability and this gift to do that for Onesimus. If you look at verse seven, it says, "'Your love has given me great joy, and encouragement, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. You see, as a friend, Philemon has the ability to refresh the wounds of the hurting person. So you see, a friend is a person who came who comes to the aid of those that are hurting, who is broken. By listening, by assisting, by giving support, by giving comfort. A friend, a brother, a sister comes to lighten the load of the heavy burden and the heavy pain that one can carry. They bring a sense of hope to the hopeless. And that's what a friend does. And trust me, I know, right? It can seem kind of scary, right? How can a friend, a brother, a partner, or how can I be a friend, a brother, a partner, a sister, to someone that is so broken and so hurt, who has had such a past in their life? How can I, when I feel like I don't have things to give up for myself, but we as Christians, this is why we have a Savior. This is why we have Jesus, a someone that gives us the strength, the ability, and the power to be the agent of change in our world. That's why we believe in a guy named Jesus, and we have such a huge responsibility and honor. And even more so, I think we have a wonderful privilege to be there for someone that is hurting, to show something different than what the world shows. So I want to challenge you in this first one to become a friend. To the Onesimus in your life, to think about who in your life is broken and hurting. Whether it be someone close to you, maybe someone in the workplace, maybe someone in your school, maybe it's even your brother or sister. Whoever it may be, I encourage you to think about becoming a friend to the Onesimus in our lives. So, for one, in this letter, okay, we learn to be a friend. As Paul pleads his buddy Philemon, but not only do we learn to be a friend, our second point, to learn to be of forgiveness. And I think this concept is quite interesting. Once again, cliche, not very interesting. Uh, I don't think I've amused you with this. Um, But forgiveness is such a powerful tool in order to love the broken. And to begin talking about this topic, I want to share with you a story uh, where I personally learned about forgiveness. And this is kind of personal, uh, so please don't like haunt me with this like later and be like, oh, Pastor Tim, remember in 2000? Anyways. So 2013, uh, if you remember, I was a missionary in Tennessee. And so I worked at a small self-supporting school called Harbor Hills Academy as their assistant dean, uh, Bible teacher, as a teacher, and I did everything for them, right? Um, and so it was with the Thousand Missionary Movement North America Division, and I remember being there for a whole year. And I remember the first semester that I was there. The theme, the spiritual theme that they had for the entire week, was forgiveness. And so you know, they asked me, was oh, pastor, or not pastor, Mr. Tim, can you please teach teach about forgiveness? Can you do a worship on this? And so I'm studying, researching, and reading all these stories about what it means to forgive, reading these books and stuff. And I'm like. Teaching these kids this whole semester, and I remember telling them, you know, you guys need to learn how to forgive people. So forgive everyone and anyone that you encounter in your life. It's not about forgetting about the hurt or whatever, but it's more about learning to accept them for who they are, right? So I'm teaching them all these things and telling them to make it practical in their lives. And at the end of that year, so end of 2013, before 2014, uh, the school typically goes to GYC, which is gender... Generation Youth for Christ. It's like a huge convention uh, for for young people, and um, so they were invited uh, to go. in so I tagged along with them. And as we're going on this, you know, I think it was like a 12, 13-hour bus ride. We're going all the way, and we get to Florida. This is where the convention was happening. We get to Florida, and. I remember getting this text message from a previous relationship that did not go very well. It ended on a really bad note, and I was just not very happy with it. Uh, we ended on a pretty sour note, but I remember receiving this text from this girl, and it's a super long, like you know those like really really long like paragraph text messages. And I'm like, why is she texting me? Like, how does she still have my number? Like, it's been you know more than two years since we broke up. And I remember the first thing it said uh, in that letter. It said. I'm sorry, please forgive me. And I just looked at it and I was like, what, is, what does she want from me, right? And I remember just like skimming through and I'm just sitting there on the bus in the back of this bus, just looking through it, reading the entire thing. And I was just like, oh, I'm sorry, like, you know, you, I did wrong to you. Like, let's let's make things work out. And I'm just like, like I'm, I'm done, I'm over with this, right? And I remember just closing my eyes and just like, just zoning off. And I'm just like praying to God, thinking like, God, why not? What's going on? And then I heard this voice. Why don't you just forgive? And I thought I was like, "Oh, is God speaking to me? Is this what God's <laughs> voice sounds like?" But it was actually just one of my students in the back, kind of just like looking over my shoulder, reading the text messages <laughs> I'm looking at, it, and I'm like, oh, "Oh my gosh!" Right? So as I'm teaching about forgiveness, I got a very pleasant surprise in one of my students saying, "Mr. Tim, why don't you just..." forgive. You taught us about forgiveness. Why is it so hard to forgive? It was in that moment that I realized that the kindness and the love and the forgiveness that God has shown us is something that we can easily in turn show to others. It was a huge wake-up call for me. And you see, I feel like forgiveness is something that we talk about all the time in church, but we never emphasize and put it into practice. We seem to always forget about what forgiveness is all about. We talk about it, but we just don't seem to be able to actually make it happen. We study and learn about how the gospel is is about second chances of starting over, of having new beginnings. We find lesson after lesson, sermon after sermon, story after story. We see stories in the Bible of people that turn away from God and then come back to him and God gives them this chance. And it's like crazy, like Jonah, think about Jonah, the life of Jonah. People like Peter who denied Jesus three times, but. He was later reinstated to become one of the greats, right? We see even in the life of Paul, in one of our characters today, of a man that murdered Christians, right? Killing people that believed in God, but God is now using him for greater things. But for some reason, when we look at ourselves, when we examine our own lives, we are such an unforgiving group of people, right? We have such an odd group of Christians that don't seem to put it to practice. And I feel like this is a huge problem in our churches. You see, in this letter, we learn a lesson of forgiveness uh, because Paul is asking Philemon to give Onesimus a chance, a second chance to forgive him and to take him back in. You look at verse 12 and verse 17, it says, I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Of course Onesimus had done wrong. By a law, he had committed a crime. He had made a mistake and he was supposed to die. But Paul is changing this game. He's turning things around, he's challenging Philemon, he's pleading with Philemon to give Omnisimus a chance, to forgive him and to accept him as his own. You see, the power to show forgiveness to someone, to the Omnisimus in our lives, someone who has run away, someone that has turned their back on us, that has maybe caused us hurt or harm in our lives, the power to forgive is such a powerful tool. Because when we forgive, we are releasing and letting go of that person's sin. In other words, when we forgive and we let go of the sin, we don't keep a record of the wrong things that he has done to, to, to us, right? We don't hold these grudges. We don't remember the mistakes and bring it up later in life. We let it go and stop it from giving in the way of living. Right? We allow the onesimus in our lives to be free, including ourselves, right? Forgiveness is such a special, powerful act that allows a person who is in guilt, that is broken, that is hurt, to be liberated. Forgiveness means to cancel the debt in order for us to provide the opportunity for repentance and reconciliation of a broken relationship. And this is exactly what Jesus did for you and I. Right? So how much more should we be doing the same? It's a challenge, I know. It's something that I will continuously talk about for this year. But it's a much-needed challenge for us As Christians in the church today. Paul's letter to Philemon is a plea to forgive in order for Onesimus to be free from that brokenness, from the hurt that once constricted him. The final thing I want to talk about today is to be a future giver. Once again, unoriginal, not really entertaining, but what does it mean by a future giver? You see, at one point Onesimus, he was a runaway slave that was owned by Philemon who ended up in the hands of Paul and became a Christian. Now, Paul sends Omnisimus back to Philemon, appealing for acceptance and forgiveness of Omnisimus. Now, Philemon had all the power and control over Omnisimus' future and his life. Easily, by Roman law, Philemon could have just ended his life, right? Or he could have restored him as a friend and a brother. An interesting fact of Omnisimus is his name literally means useful, okay? And then we find in verse 11, Paul is very crafty when it comes to uh, his words and how he plays with it. Right? Verse 11 says, Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and I. I think Paul is a brilliant like, writer. But it's interesting, because Onesimus' name in itself means useful. We don't know exactly what happens in the end. We just see this letter, and then that's just kind of it. But in history, it's interesting to note that we find the name of Onesimus. A church father uh, was writing some 50 years later in a letter to the the Ephesians, and he addressed their minister of the church of Ephesians, uh, their bishop, and his name was Onesimus, right? And for me, that's so wild, because this uh, church father referred to Onesimus as who formerly was useless to you, but now has become useful to both you and I." He uses the exact same Greek word that we find in the letter, that we find in this letter that was written by a church father. I think that's so beautiful. So now you might be wondering, what does it mean to be a future giver? A future giver is a person who restores a person's spirit. Paul wrote in the Galatians, brother, if someone is caught in any wrongdoings, you who who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit watching out for yourself so you won't be tempted also you see the word restore in this context is actually used to describe the mending of fishermen's nets in order for them to be used the next day so the ideal here is simple that paul is talking about he's telling us that we should put people back into workable and useful shapes and conditions it's a reminder of how valuable they are to god but not only to god but to our societies, to our communities, and even to ourselves. We find account after account, time after time, of Jesus restoring broken and people, right? And this is something that I'll continuously talk about. He restored this woman at the well, right? The woman that was caught in, in adultery, the man with the, the wiltered hand, and the demon-possessed man of Gesuria, yeah, right? Jesus restores us who believes. Being a future giver is being a person that reminds those that they are loved, that they are worthy of that love, and that they are a child of God. I think that is so beautiful, and that's a huge, huge challenge for us today as a church. Restoring the spirit of an individual can do marvelous things for their future. And this is why it's called the future giver. So there's a story, uh, you can fact check me, I don't know if this is true or not, but there's a story of when Thomas Edison was creating uh, the first light bulb, right? Thank you for the lights, right? So the astonishment of the onlookers, okay? He, he finished the bulb and he gave it to this very young young boy, right? This young helper, maybe like the size of little Enoch. I don't know where he went. Okay, okay. Who nervously carried this light bulb up these stairs, okay? And he had to take it upstairs to this vacuum machine. But at the very last step, he drops this light bulb, right? And it shatters into thousands of pieces. Right. So this bulb was like worthless now. The first light bulb. Consequently, okay, because of this. The whole team had to remake a light bulb, of course. But it was another 24 hours until they could finish the second first light bulb. So when Edison looked around after they had finished it, to their astonishment, he gave it back to the exact same boy. This gesture, I believe, probably changed that boy's life forever. Edison knew that it was more than just a bulb that was at stake. So who do you know that it's broken? Who do you know that needs a friend, a second chance, or a new future? For many hurting people today, you may be the person that could change their future around by simply offering them your friendship, your forgiveness, and a hope future. You see, the letter of Philemon, it reminds us that Christianity has the power to heal hurting hearts and to repair broken people, putting them back on their feet. It instructs us that when we, when given the chance, we are to participate in this revolutionary thing called grace and forgiveness, which leads them ultimately to reconciliation. We can be an agent of change in our world, against the culture of cruelty and hatred by doing to others as Paul asked for to do for sinners. Now, as I wrap up today, maybe some of you are broken, hurting people. And I'll be honest and transparent with you as your pastor. Uh, I am intrinsically a broken hurting person. So as I've been you know talking about this, studying about these topics, um, talking about sermons, and in the future you'll see more about my personal experience and the hurt that I go through. I can't help but think about the relationship that I have with obesimus. Right? Martin Luther, one of the great Protestant reformers. He once wrote, he said, we are all the lords of Easterness. And I think that's that's just so beautiful. Because why? The letter of Philemon not only shows a lesson of being a friend, being a forgiver, being a future giver. It's a beautiful illustration of what salvation means to you and I as Christians. You see, God created you and I to be uh, servants of God, to serve him. That was the original intention that God had created each and every one of us. You see, God is our rightful owner, he is our master. But just like Onesimus, we're the ones that say, hey, I'm gonna rebel, I'm gonna run away, right? We say to God, you know, God, you don't own me, right? You're not my master, I don't want you to control my life. This is what we think. So with this, we take our bodies, our minds, our intelligence, our talents that God originally created for us to give to him, we take that, and then we go about on our selfish ways. We do things for ourselves, we do things for our wants, our desires, very personal intentions. We tell the world, hey, now I'm free from God's bondage, I don't have to deal with God. But in reality, in the act of doing that, we become slaves to sin. And just like Onesimus, we become condemned, and now we've become criminals on the road. We have inconvenienced God, and we have robbed Him. And as we go about living our lives as a slave to sin in the world, we're running away like Jonah, right? We run away like Jonah, going completely in the opposite direction. But in that mist, God provides someone, or something, or some kind of event in our lives where we encounter the truth and the beauty of what God's love is really like. And at first, we think, man, it's scary because I've been running away, I've been going in the total opposite direction. But it's scary because we think, man, I'm condemned. I'm supposed to die, right? We're afraid of God because we know that we have done him wrong. Okay, We're guilty and we're thinking, how can a person like me, how can a person like me that has, has betrayed and inconvenienced God, how can I go back to him and stand before him? It's this overwhelming sense of guilt and pain, this sense of brokenness that consumes us from the inside to out. But then Jesus comes along and he says to you this. He says, hey, don't plead your case. Don't worry about it. Right? Don't say a thing. Don't even try to justify why you ran away. Just take this letter to the master. So you take the letter and you, you often go to the master. But on this journey, on the way there, okay, you know that time when like, I don't know, maybe for young people you don't do it, but for my generation, we used to like pass letters, right? To like people in class. It's like, hey, can you give this to Billy? And it's like, okay, I'll give this to Billy, right? Um, but it's like not none of your business, but you have this like urge to like peek and see what it is, right? I did that all the time. Maybe I shouldn't have done that, right? It's not your business, but you have this urge to look. And you do it anyways, even though you know it's not right. And it says in this letter, as you're going back to the master you look, it says, accept him as you would accept me. And you're just like, wait, what does that even mean? What, why, what is this letter trying to say? And as you continue to read the letter, you open it up all the way now, it says, if he has done you any wrong, or if he owes you anything, just don't worry about it, charge it to me. This is what the letter says as you take it back to the master. And maybe it's at this point, it hits you. You've come to realize the fact that there is now, there's like no way that you could repay God for all the sins that you've committed, the inconvenience that you have created for God. But the beautiful thing is this, there is no need to, you don't have to, because Christ paid your debt on that cross. Everything you stole, the time, the energy, everything, the talents, whatever it was, everything was already charged to his account. You put everything at this point, your trust in the Savior, who paid the debt that you once owned. And you return to the Master, and now you willingly decide to serve him. And for the first time in your life, you actually feel free. And now you live a life to please him, to glorify God, and you do everything from the bottom of your heart. And the even more beautiful thing is this. Jesus the guy who paid that costly debt for you is now calling you to not only just be whoever you were, but calling you to now become a beloved brother or sister in Christ. Right? Just as Paul refers to the right away slave, Onesimus. It's such a beautiful, it's so powerful, this, this letter is just amazing to me because This letter from Paul to Philemon doesn't just teach us about how we are to treat the broken or how we are to love these kind of people. It's talking about you and I. It's talking about our salvation. Because Jesus was that friend that refreshed the wounded. Jesus was the forgiver who released us of our sins. And Jesus was that future giver, the one that restored our spirits. And so the challenge is now ours. Will we become a friend that refreshes the wounded? Will we become a forgiver that releases the sin. will we become a future giver that restores one spirit. And I pray that we as a church can be people who not only love those that are whole and well and have everything together, but to love the hurting and to love the broken. Now, tonight, you might be wondering, like, okay, how does this relate to the United Project, uh, the Praise Night? And some of you guys might have this thinking that, oh, this Praise Night is simply just a Praise Night. But I want to tell you that tonight is going to be more than just a praise night. Because Unite Project is a platform for the broken, for those that are hurt, for those that are struggling with wherever they are, for those who feel love, but also for those who don't. For those who are all together and whole, but for those that are also broken and not together. You see, Unite Project means a lot to me as a pastor because it's an opportunity for us to show those, regardless of who they are, where they're from, their background, their denomination, whatever it may be, whoever comes through the doors of this church for this Unite Project, it's an opportunity for us to show the love that God has once shown us. It's an opportunity to become a person that refreshes the wounded, a forgiver that frees the sinner, and a future giver that restores the one soul. That's what this praise night is all about. So I pray that this is a Sabbath, a Sabbath where we not only learn how to love the broken, but we put to practice what it means to love the broken.